Hello, and welcome to It Came From The Page, the podcast where we take a literary work and we, uh, you know, talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there's many adaptions. So um, this season, the first season, what better way to start than to talk about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, um, you know, it's worth noting um, before, you know, we get into it, um, that both of the histories of these novels, because that's what we're talking about today, is the novels that, you know, set off, um, you know, a absolute pandemic of horror, right? In a good way. Um, yeah, that was an interesting word choice, but okay. Yeah, I mean, listen. We're living in 2021. Everything's a pandemic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That both of the lives of Bram Stoker and especially Mary Shelley are full to the brim. So in no way take these historical accounts as complete. Um, And I would recommend anybody who has any passing interest in any of these books to go out and do their own research and read, especially about Mary Shelley. Um, Because her life is integral to the creation of Frankenstein. And also Bram Stoker, but especially Mary Shelley. So, um, you know, the primary research uh, for both for this was uh, the 1975 documentary In Search of Dracula and the book. um, And The Making of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein by Daisy Hay. Both definitely worth your time if you're at all interested in this. Lots of information there. Um, So, yeah. But we begin... On November 8th, 1847, one Abraham Stoker was born in Dublin, junior to his father and to his mother, Charlotte Matilda Blake Thornley. He was the third of seven children and dedicated member of the Church of Ireland parish of Clontarf. He was athletic and healthy, save for one long stretch of illness at seven, mostly unexplained. Though there was a breakout of cholera at the time where his mother entertained him with horror stories of mass graves and burials including one where, in an opium stupor, a man in a coffin awakens after they've attempted to break his leg to fit him into a coffin. While working for the government of Ireland, he became the theater critic for the Dublin Evening Mail, and due to his quality of reviews and because of his favorable review of Henry Irving's Hamlet especially at the theater in Dublin, he became close friends with Mr. Irving and eventually worked for him as a business manager of his Lyceum Theater in London, where he became acquainted with high society, including Arthur Conan Doyle, or should I say Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, whom he was related to distantly, and Hall Caine, who wrote um, many things, including British patriotic papers and The Manxman, which was adapted twice, the second by Alfred Hitchcock in 1929, and that was his last silent film. The book Dracula is dedicated to Caine. Perhaps more importantly, this position allowed him to travel, and this gave him a chance to go to Eastern Europe and to the United States where he met Theodore Roosevelt, William McKinley, and Walt Whitman, all of whom certainly would become the inspiration for the most outrageously American character of all time, Quincy Morris. Also, he spent time in Cruden Bay in Scotland, which became settings for some of his other work, but also had Slane's Castle, which contained an octagonal hall, very similar to the description in Castle Dracula, and also may have been the inspiration for Carfax Abbey, which 
plays a huge role in the novel. As well as the palette for the area in that of the coastal town of Whippy, it was also during this time he, Armin Vanbury, a Hungarian Jew, told him stories of the Carpathian Mountains and led him to research Central and Eastern European folklore. The documentary In Search of Dracula claims that Vlad the Impaler is the sole inspiration for the Count. However, if you look at Stoker's notes about the novel at the time, and later, which there's many, the name Vlad the Impaler never appears in any of those notes. And also, many have pointed out the description of Dracula in the novel, which is much different than most of the film's depictions, matches the figure and form of his longtime friend and former boss, Her Henry Irving, almost identically. Upon its release, Dracula was relatively well-received and considered a straightforward horror story. Though through time, many have noted its seemingly homoerotic aspects, leading many to suspect that its inclusion of obsession of manliness and the combination of his affection and friendship with the likes of Whitman, Irving, Hall, Kane, and Oscar Wilde, combined with his seemingly sexless marriage, was an outlet for his sexual frustrations. This despite, during his lifetime, Stoker calling for the imprisonment of all homosexual authors in 1912. But the beliefs, traditions, and intentions of Dracula are still to this day somewhat a mystery. Much has been discussed of missing pages, 101, if you can believe that, existed in draft format under the title The Undead, and also reportedly had Jonathan Harker's travel to the castle in the middle of the story, and included in its uh, prefect an appeal to the fact that vampires are real, including the assertion that Dr. Seward, Jonathan Harker, and his real wife, Stoker personally knew. Though certainly this is likely a smart marketing ploy, much like which is employed at the beginning of the classic Universal film adaptation of our second story this evening. So in 1912, at the age of 65, and after multiple strokes, Bram Stoker passed away with a cause of death much like Dracula itself, still a mystery. Some suggested it as syphilis, others as quote-unquote overwork. His death certificate claims it as locomotor ataxia, an affliction that causes one to lose feelings in their limbs and may cause them to move awkwardly as their spinal cord breaks down. Seemingly a fitting, morbid, and mysterious end to a man who created the most enduring vision of undeath. A perhaps interesting juxtaposition to our second story of the night, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, by Mary Wollencraft Shelley. Born Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, 30th of August in, 19, in 1791, not 1971, August in 1791, in Somerstown, London, Mary's life began in tragedy as her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, died of septicemia just a month after her birth to, due to the infection from the placenta breaking down during birth. In life, Mary was a brilliant woman and one of the founding feminist philosophers. And however celebrated in her time, Mary Shelley's father, believing he was celebrating his, life's, his late wife's life, published a memoir of her entitled Memories of a, Vindic a Vindication of the Rights of Women. Unfortunately, 
the opposite is what took place. It destroyed the reputation of his life, late wife for years. This after explicitly being begged not to include details of his wife's life by the publishers and editors, which he fully ignored. The book contains many insights to her life, including her affairs with other men, causing critics to slander her as a quote-unquote kept mistress and quote-unquote concubine, as well as slander her for what appears to be her suicidal tendencies, a fact that was included by her late husband as he saw it as an honorable extension due to her obsession and desire around the women's movement. With all these facts in tow, it is not hard to understand our dear Mary's mindset around obsession, grief, and dedication that led her to begin writing Frankenstein in 1816 in Geneva, a guest of Lord Byron for the summer who had rented Villa Diodati close to Lake Geneva. Mary had decided to begin calling herself then Mrs. Shelley, though her relationship with Percy began years ago at the age of 16 when she fell in love with him, him a radical poet which had alienated him from his wealthy family and had and caused him to have difficulty finding money due to his family withholding funds, concerned he would throw them away on political justice. He was 21. They began meeting secretly at Mary's mother's grave, and on the 28th of July, they eloped and left for France, taking Mary's stepsister Claire Claremont with them. The relationship between Percy Shelley and Mary is worth, no worth noting is a very complicated one. Percy, believing in free love, was involved with other women, including having a son with Harriet Shelley in 1814, which he appeared to be overjoyed with, as well as spending many multiple outings with Claire Claremont. In 1815, Mary gave birth to a child two months early. Of this, she wrote to their friend Thomas Jefferson Hogg, My dearest Hogg, my baby is dead. Will you come to see him as soon as you can? I wish to see you. It was perfectly well when I went to bed. I awoke in the night to give it. It appeared to be sleeping so quietly that I would not awake it. It was dead then, but we did not find that out till morning. From its appearance, it evidently died of convulsions. Will you come? You are so calm a creature, and Shelley is afraid of a fever from the milk, for I am no longer a mother now. Devastating. So it was a one year later in that summer where they would sit around a log fire telling ghost stories with Lord Byron, that Frankenstein began to be formed as the entire summer was filled with incessant rain. Each morning she was asked, have you thought of a story? And she was forced to reply in the negative, until the subject of corpse reanimation came up in natural conversation, and a spark formed in Mary's head, which would become the inspiration for Frankenstein. And she claims created a singular vision, a waking dream that she claimed occurred to her in that moment. She said, and I quote, I saw the pale student of unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir with an uneasy half vital motion. Frightful must it be for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. Mary Shelley was just 19. 
There's been much argument over the years whether Percy had huge impacts or minor impacts to the writing or not. Some of these implications being that Mary couldn't possibly have written it and Percy was a better writer. And, well, if we actually look at the facts, there are differences in the 1818 publication, the 1823, and the 1831. And when you look at all of these combined... You can see the various contributions to the editing process by which Percy was involved. And with these changes, it appears most likely that he did about as much work as any editor does for their writer, which certainly is substantial, but in no way detracts from the true authorship of the work. On July 1st, 1822, Percy, along with two others, sailed down the coast of Italy to Laverno and to discuss the release of a new magazine. On July 8th, they set to return but would not make it home, as bad weather overtook the boat. On the 1st of February, 1851, Mary herself would die from what is expected to be a brain tumor. However, the many years between that and the publication of Frankenstein was filled with tragedy. It was also, perhaps more importantly, filled with Mary's own obsessions. Writing, feminism, editing, radical thought, and love of her children, late husband, and friends, leaving an incredible legacy that itself will never rest. So, Kelly, let's start by talking about Old Stoker's 1897 novel, shall we? Okay, then. <laughs> Any thoughts on uh, what we talked about? Any of that you didn't know? Um, I didn't know. Uh, I, I knew a lot of the, the Mary Shelley stuff. I didn't know basically yeah. anything about Ram Stoker before. Yeah. Seems like kind of a jerk. To be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah. Yeah, it seems a complicated man. Yeah, very complicated. <laughs> very complicated. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. Well, I think of, let's start by talking about Dracula. Um, and maybe I'm going to start with a little bit of a hot take. I'm going to say okay. um, Dracula is best seen, in my opinion, as a sort of, um, mm, I I'm going to say it's best seen as sort of a fertilizer in the sense that it's able to um spring forth so much creative fruit right but mm. also as a fertilizer in the sense that it's sort of shit <laughs> <laughs> um okay i did i did not like the book um no so i i am i'm i'm i like this interpretation oh, yes. thank you. um um yeah i i i think the movie is better and no i don't want to narrow that down um but, don't, add, don't add us okay <laughs> Um, when you say the novel, uh, do you mean the classic, or do you mean Bram Stoker's the, Dracula, or uh, the, all of the above? Uh, the classic uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula novel, uh, I don't think is that. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. This yeah. is my first time reading it in full. I had tried to read it before, and now I remember why I couldn't finish it. Um, but uh, I had a friend that kind of compared it to... Um, with with the fact that the whole story, you know, is told with uh, different journal entries or, or, or letters or whatever. Yes. And uh, a friend that kind of compared it to like a, a tabletop RPG where 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 one different player starts telling the story now for the others and then back and forth and how everyone is really pissed off when it gets past Van Helsing because he won't stop talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. He was so annoying. <laughs> um 
And like I, you know, um, I have read Frankenstein. I have read Frankenstein a few. Or I'm sorry, Dracula a few yeah. times. Mm. Um, but I read it maybe like two or three, you know, three or four times actually, probably in high school. Um, okay. and here's the thing with it, right? Like, um, and I tried reading Frankenstein in high school, um, a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. And this just goes to show you that high school boys are fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> like I think dracula really gripped me because i was a teenager who loved horror and Mm. i think there's absolutely moments in dracula which are incredibly inspirational horror moments Mm -hmm. right that like yes you slog through all this fucking nonsense that um, Mm -hmm. we'll get down to in earnest but there's moments like um like the the arrival of the mirror, which is an incredibly horrific moment, and the description of Dracula is, um, is like fuel to like a horror imagination. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, yeah. Um, like the moment when you know he's just throwing a fucking bag with a baby in it <laughs> to the <laughs> to the vampires is, is brutal. You know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And it, I, I think for, like, me at that age, um, and coming back to it now, um, I think I probably forgave its flaws because of the moments that were truly horrific, whereas, you know, not to jump ahead, Frankenstein is much more a personal story that's, you know, the horrific things are implications. They're not as much visceral. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, I got Yeah, I, I think I follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can tear me apart now. That's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, uh, yeah, w- with with the Bram Stoker's Dracula, the, the book, not the movie, which we'll talk about in a later episode yeah. that was not recorded before this. Um, <laughs> um, we. <laughs> I really think that the first like act of the book um, at uh, Dracula's castle, I was into it then. It mm. was, and um. Yeah, I, I thought that was a good horror novel. We had, uh, you know, kind of Harker kind of relaying his horror and uh, and dread as he's understanding. Oh, I'm a captive, and then then the the book uh, moves on to uh, England, and um, we start having all these narrators, and it starts going everywhere. And how many times do we have to save Lucy? And um, it's just. Uh, it becomes a slog. Um, one of the things I kind of re- uh, found interesting, uh, maybe even remarkable, uh, reading it is how little Dracula is in it. Um, yeah, really, there is no. Yeah, <laughs> he's like sort of like looming over the pages, but yeah, never... absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that you said it's like um, um, it is like a um. A... Epistolary story, right? Where it's like all letters um, mm-hmm. and um, newspaper clippings, right? Yeah. And I totally agree with you. Like the fir- can you imagine? There's a hundred other pages that take place prior to that, and how horrible it would be to read that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I was thinking when I was reading it. I, you know. Yeah. It's like a hundred and fifty pages or so before. Van Helsink appears, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, about, about. And then it feels like uh, 700 pages after yeah. he appears. He is, 
the worst version of, of Van Helsing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> I I generally love that character, and I was just kind of shocked by how much I hated him so on the page. <laughs> he's the fucking dumbest person ever. He's like, he's like, we talked a little bit of this on the side, but it's when he's like trying to convince Seward that vampires exist, it is the most yeah. outrageously dumb passage maybe in the history of any book i've ever read he's like yeah, he's... can you imagine the tortoise that lives <laughs> to a hundred years old and the fact that uh sometimes when it's windy uh leaves blow to the wrong side of the house and therefore we know that vampires exist and i'm like yeah what yeah what are you talking yeah. about yeah it's just, it, it just goes on and on and it's just like some of the it's you know it's like whatever the old sort of un- barely understood science and trying to like say you know we, we don't understand how tortoises exist therefore <laughs> vampires must exist can you imagine a tortoise fucking come <laughs> on it's like what like honestly <laughs> i don't remember that line no, okay. <laughs> it'd be a much better book uh, i'll take hugh jackman's fans <laughs> oh my god oh my god yeah um at least he doesn't talk as much. Yeah. It, yeah. it like, the book is so, like, it's so padded out. Like. It is. It's ridiculous. It's like, we know that this vampire lives and it's going to eat children. But first, let's step off for some tasty chicken and some soup because I'm very <laughs> hungry. And then that goes on for about fucking 20 pages. And then they're like, oh, yeah, he's eating children. Let's go see what's going on. It's like, what? It is Meanwhile, 10 children boring. are dead. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's boring. I mean, I'm sorry. So I, I, I'm going to get uh, letters about that. No, I won't. No one listens. That's but listen, awesome. it's fine. Um, <laughs> um, uh, it's a boring book. I mean, yeah, I hate saying it's that. Good. It's a bad book. I'm sorry. It's a bad book. It's done great things, however. That yeah, my, absolutely. That would um, be my defense of it, is that it's a very poorly written book, especially like if you do what I did, which is read Frankenstein right behind it. Oh, um, yeah, I did the same. Yeah, I did the same. <laughs> the difference is glaring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so poorly written. And granted, you know, Dracula's older, right? Yeah. Right? Is it? Yeah. Am I yes, yes. So, you know... <laughs> But I don't think there's any excuse. Like it, it is not a good book. It's not. It's it's just not. It's it's a it's a bad book with good ideas. I guess I don't know. Yeah. It, like that. Well, I'd say it's a bad book with some great moments. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in the first use of the word "undead" is um amazing. <clears throat> um. And, and before that, there were other vampire books, but this one really does a smart thing. I think, which is lay out rules. Mm. to what a vampire mm-hmm. is right prior to this yeah. like vampires are sort of a throwaway word that could describe anything you know mm-hmm. right yeah and creating that concrete villain uh, one of the best villains in history although i would say i'd much rather hang out with dracula than fucking van helsing is <laughs> is genius in its own right you know absolutely but yeah yeah i um, would say and maybe this can interlude into a book that is actually very good, is that if I were to choose and say, hey, you have time to read one of these two books, absolutely you should read Frankenstein, not Dracula. I would agree with this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're not going to get anything out of Dracula 
that you can't get out of the movies. I think that um, the Dracula book, uh, the, the the biggest takeaways I have from it, other than just ignoring thoughts on quality, um, uh, just how somehow they managed to take the barely there Dracula and turn him into this larger than life character that's lasted for eons. And uh, the way too present Van Helsing and turn him into something of a hero that's lasted forever, too. And, uh, he, but also, I guess I just kind of, I do sort of like the, the, um, style that they chose, uh, th- that he chose of, uh, the back and forth of diary entries, news entries. It's, it doesn't help the story any, it's not exciting writing, but I, you don't, I don't read many books that are like that. And so in that way, I, I guess I appreciate it, but otherwise, um, no, you're, you're, just as fine watching the Coppola film or Lugosi or whatever and just you're happy you're not knowing (laughs) there's so much weird shit dude like there's so much so many pages about like how you you know the weird there's no characterization in this book whatsoever like everybody is a virtuous angel from heaven and that's all they talk about yeah I mean Van Helsing is weird that's about it uh is he weird Jack or is he Harry? just Danish? Like, I don't <laughs> yes. even know. I don't even know. Like, that's like what they keep. That's that's it. Like, they just, you know, um, it, it, like half the book is just like how amazing Mina is and how everybody wants to bang Mina. Secretly. Yeah, yeah. And and then she's got like three suitors, and they're all well, interchangeable. Yeah. They're all the same guy. Yeah. Quincy is kind of fun, um, only in the sense that he's, like, so American, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, like, <laughs> he's, like, you know, the first thing they describe about him is how many guns he has. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, you're the, the, our entry to Jonathan, and I agree, the carriage ride um, is the is the best like continuous passage of this story. Like it's, yeah, there's so much interesting stuff there, but mostly it's like Jonathan's like, Oh, I ate chicken with paprika and my mouth hurts. Now I'm so <laughs> white in English. I can't handle fucking yeah, paprika yeah. on my paprika chicken. It was a big subplot. <laughs> it was a big subplot. It was, I drank all his water. Like they go, <laughs> <laughs> fucking couldn't i was like this is the whitest dude of all time <laughs> they put a little bit of a spicy mustard on my sandwich and i'm I'm sorry i have to call out of work for the next week <laughs> it's like jesus christ dude get a hold of yourself yeah. um, but food is a big part of this book too like they're constant and i don't know maybe that's you know, maybe the credit, there's some credit there to, like, the idea of that is that, like, we consume life, you know? Um, okay. That right? might be giving it too much credit, Maybe. okay. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, but if you take that and juxtapose it to, like, what Renfield, right? Mm. Um, who's also, like, eating flies and shit like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I kind of, okay, you mentioned Renfield. I kind of liked um, his chapters in the book. I kind of liked... I thought he was interesting enough um, and the back and forth he has with uh, Seward and um, sort of the the times when he's trying to uh, 
trying to present himself as completely sane and and maybe even betrayed by Dracula. I thought, uh, yeah, okay, I'm being nice. The Renfield stuff was good, sure. That was me being nice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually... <laughs> The Renfield stuff has interesting aspects, but like much of this book, it's very repetitive. Oh, like it, absolutely. It yeah. goes through the same things over and over and over again, right? Like we got it yeah. the first three fucking times that you talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like stuff like um, where uh, Seward is basically testing Renfield about, do you want a kitten? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I want a kitten. What about a cat? Uh, fuck yeah, a cat. You're going to eat the cat? Well, no. I just, I, <laughs> there was something kind of creepy and funny about sometimes the Renfield stuff. But um, yes, absolutely uh, re- repetitive. And um, oh, the book just kept going. <laughs> it did. Um, one thing I think, like the arrival of um, the ship, right? Mm. I think is a great passage. Like it's mm. never really though that's like one of the things that I think has never been really and there's there's there is adaptations. Uh, maybe we'll get to some of them, maybe we won't, that do include that, but I don't think they're ever as effective as it is in the book where it feels like there is a coming storm, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's maybe the most effective thing at getting across that Dracula's like a pure thing of evil, is that nature itself, right? Yeah, uh I, I think uh Herzog's uh Nosferatu with the coming ship and with the yeah. the plague rats coming off that to me stands out. But yeah, um, yeah, um, but uh yeah, I yeah, there the uh the ship I I always like the 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 ship stuff and um how different stories interpret it. And yeah, it is good in the uh original novel, yeah. And then you have like Mr. Swales, right? Who's I like have a, no memory of this character. <laughs> well, it's one of the things that's not repetitive in the book. <laughs> um, probably <laughs> why. Because your brain is filled with the same shit over and over again. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Smalls is like an old, like, hundred-year-old man who's a sailor who's, like, friends with Lucy and Mina, right? And the oh, idea, yeah, this dude. What? Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I remember this dude. Yeah. yeah and the idea, I think, is that, like, he's ready for death, right? Like, he's a mm-hmm. good man because he's lived a long, good life, but he's prepared to die. And it's mm-hmm. an interesting juxtaposition to dracula whose whole idea is that he will never die right right and that's what makes him unholy right Mm -hmm. um which also i think is an idea that maybe never has been adapted at all like i don't think that character has ever been in any dracula adaptation that i'm aware of maybe there is i can't recall no i don't remember maybe that's part of the reason why i couldn't remember him offhand uh, after reading the book that's also like a Uh. paragraph and a half um (laughs) you know i got Um, you (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just wanted to throw – I wanted to be nice as well and throw some things out there. And obviously, we are shit-talking the text of the book, but obviously the impact to Dracula um, is unprecedented probably, right? Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, Dracula's it, great. The book, and you know, whatever. Uh, not not so much. Not great. Yeah. Bad writing. Bad job, Graham. <laughs> bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should feel bad. <laughs> So let's talk about a really, really good book. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, what do you think? Really, really good book. Um, (laughs) I had read this one before. Um, uh, It had been a long time. Um, I really liked it. Um, You know, I I was older now, able to appreciate it more. Um, It's a sad fucking book. It is a sad book. 
Um, I was kind of shocked by how much Victor Frankenstein is just basically the sickest, most frail man ever. In the book. <laughs> He's like, I worked through the night and I didn't get eight hours of sleep and I had to sleep for nine months. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> He's such a little bitch. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Dude should have found a different profession. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but, you know, so that kind of felt a little bit repetitive, where it's like, this guy has just a flu that he just can't shake, and it's yeah. going, or something, whatever, through the whole book. Um, but, uh, no, I I really liked it. Um, it is sad, and it's sort of, um, compared to so many of the adaptations, which are about science, or about horror, or about uh, defying the gods, this felt more about mourning, and... Uh, right. And the inability to let go. and um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I th- I'm so glad you said that because it feels like, man, and I'm not trying to come across as like I'm a know-it-all or whatever. I just feel like even the great um, Universal adaptation, it's a fucking awesome movie, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really understand what this book is about. Yeah, or it doesn't try I'm- to. Maybe it's not trying to adapt what this novel is actually about, but just using the framework to talk about something else, you know? Yeah, I think that's more it. I mean, the uh, original, you know, James Whale uh, movies, uh, they're so pared down from the book. Um, they're, they're, they're small stories compared yes. to what the book tells. Um, and they're much more interested in the science and in the monster uh, than in anything uh, sort of uh, emotional. Um, they're good films, great films. Yeah, but, yeah um, of course. Let's not talk about Kenneth Branagh's film, but you know the other ones are great. Hopefully, but, we will uh, talk about that film. Oh no, we have not done so yet. <laughs> this is in the past from when we talk about Kenneth Branagh's film. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> um, I also, you know. But, well, speaking of Branagh's film, I, that is, like, the closest anyone uh, has come to kind of uh, depicting the, uh, in, at least in film from what I've seen, depicting the creature as a, a thinking a thinking man's monster, True. whatever. However, uh, that film has no brain in it whatsoever, so it's not <laughs> capable of giving the, the monster thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think, yeah, I, I think uh, also uh, Penny Dreadful, the uh, Showtime series, kind of did something uh, similar with the the, the Frankenstein uh, creature, uh, where, you know, it was a sad monster that could speak and reason. Um, I'm a sad monster. <laughs> I have anxiety. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, you know, I I really liked the book. It is, it is very different from... Uh, from the film that we've all seen with Boris Karloff. Um, um, but I think that that's to both the film and the book's benefit in a way. Yes. Um, you know, it makes b- both of them enjoyable in their own way. And, uh, or it's like, you know, you've, you've seen the Dracula adaptations. You don't need to read the book. You're fine. And, and Frankenstein's the book is a completely different experience than watching any of the movies, right? So I totally right, right. Agree with you. So go ahead and watch, read it. You yes. know, it's yeah, it's short too. It's not yeah, that long. yeah. I read it like right. in the afternoon or like you know, it, it's I don't know. It's what like three hundred pages. <clears throat> you could and it's it flows by like it's very it well does. written. It's easy to read, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and also written like Dracula as you know um, letters back and forth, but they just they pare down how many point of views, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's it feels a little bit less like scrambled eggs, and uh, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I do you back. think it's much of a okay. horror story, or, or do you think it's more? I do. I, kinda... I mean, I think horror can be multitude of things, right? Like, yeah, so, true. I, I think you're getting at what I was sort of saying at the beginning, which is like it doesn't have those. It's not visceral horror, right? It's right. Not like right. blood and guts, right? Right. Right. But yeah. if you think of like the stuff Mike Flanagan's doing today, it's very in tone with that. Okay. Yeah, I I can see that actually. Oh, okay, like, now oh. I want a Mike Flanagan Frankenstein. Yeah, he would make a great Frankenstein, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, adaptation of the book right Um, Right, because it's very much about people's emotions and feelings right it's Mm -hmm. not about um blood and guts you know not not to say mike plank never does that i'm just saying that's like that's you know that's the thrust of where horror comes from him and i think that that's the thrust of where you know this is a morning story but it's also like you said i think you hit the nail on the head this is about obsession not about scientific advancement flying in the face of god because there's no science in this book yeah it's kind of amazing how little there is it's like you know he came up with the idea of how to create life and we don't really get to know what it what the idea was we don't really get much uh uh of a look into the inner workings of frankenstein's lab which is such a centerpiece and and so many adaptations here it's yeah he created life Let's move on and get to the real stuff. It makes you wonder. Like, that's why I really um, tried to focus on uh, Mary Shelley's mother because um, and her obsession with, like, feminism. Um, mm. Because this is about, like, how obsession can destroy you and your family around you. Sort of. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not about – and I think Frankenstein as a man is the most sympathetic version of this character I've ever seen. Like, I think – that's actually probably true yeah yeah he's not a bad guy like in every other adaptation he's like a mon he's the monster it's Mm -hmm. is frankenstein's monster the monster or is frankenstein the monster but that's not in this book really no the monster is evil Mm -hmm. personified he is bad he does bad things you know and the scientist uh did an experiment that he shouldn't have done and he uh he paid dearly for it. Um, <laughs> but it, but it was for, he thought was good intentions. Right. So I think absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, Oh, now he's paying the price. And also, by the way, he's hiding it from his friends and family. Cause he's embarrassed of it, which causes it to kind of, um, multiply. Right. Right. Um, one of the, uh, parts in the book that I don't remember seeing any adaptation really do well. Um, uh, Brianna's just speeds right through it is when um the boy dies and yeah. uh the the like the um the maid or the caretaker uh woman is oh, blamed for it yes. and you know and and uh I don't think that's in the original movies at all in Brianna's thing they're just like oh fuck it's her put a noose around her neck and throw her <laughs> off a roof off a and, and throw her within three seconds it's so Crazy. fast here we seriously have a um a courtroom drama subplot in the middle of the book as uh you know this woman is uh up for crimes that she didn't commit and victor frankenstein 
knows who did it and because it was his creation feels he's responsible and the guilt that just wrecks him yeah. it's it's a it's, i mean again this is a sad book it's, it's devastating sometimes because mm-hmm. you know there, there's no good way out of it for any of these characters and the the monster has trapped them in this uh mis, you know misery and uh you know the, the woman dies and uh frankenstein carries that guilt with him and uh it's kind of yeah it's tough yeah, I also think like sort of the relationship between Elizabeth and Victor mm. is true love here, like in a way that I don't think is properly expressed anywhere else. Like, you know, you think they're like actual cousins. They're not really cousins. Um, I mean, it is a little bit like, hey, step bro. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there is a little bit here of like a promise to him, which is creepy but i'm sure that is mary talking about percy right in some ways which makes this a very personal story which makes me feel like this is in no way not mary shelley's story right like there's so much per this is very personal story i think right i think so too um yeah uh i'm sorry no 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 Lost my train of thought. No, no. I I mean, I just think it's very important to understand that. And she loves him very much, and he loves her Mm -hmm. very much. But they're also very torn apart by things that are going on, his own guilt, Mm -hmm. um, her own guilt, right? Like, she blames herself for his little brother dying, right? Yeah, and uh, there's uh, a good part of the book where, you know, he becomes so distant that uh, her and uh, his father and others think that, oh, he's found someone else, you know, because— you know, yeah, but, that's got to be how she feels, right? Like in right, uh, yeah, Percy, right, yeah, because he's not telling them anything, and it's like, like I'll tell you on my wedding night, uh, yeah, first wedding night. You. That doesn't really, that doesn't really go very well. Um, no, it, like he has ample time to warn them that his creation is going to destroy them all. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he um. Like like I said, we it's the most sympathetic version of Frankenstein. Um, he's not a bad guy, but he is a fool. Yes, uh, you know. I think it's interesting. Like early in the book, she makes a comparison to like other things that are not scientific obsessions mm. that are um, destructive, and she even mentions like America's colonization of Native Americans. Yeah, yeah, I I remember that. Yeah, and it's like uh, wow, what she's saying is if we just not been dicks about it we could have it could have been <laughs> less you know if we had just stopped them and like okay what we're doing is wrong mm-hmm. right and taking yeah. a different turn it would have been bad but it wouldn't have been as bad as it became right so i think right. that's the idea is that like these things compound and victor's in denial right right absolutely um, yeah. you know because like he creates the creature and then like wakes up and it's gone and he's like okay problem over yeah yeah he kind of um has this sort of uh, out of sight, out of mind uh, view of his monster, which is reckless. <laughs> um, but I think we all sort of do that, though, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's one of those things where, yeah, that's sympathetic. I mean, I empathize yeah. with that. Uh, um, you know, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, his personal demon that he literally created. <laughs> and And he's basically just like, well, if I don't think about it, you know, I'm not going to continue that destructive path. And then, well, you know, it kind of keeps coming back anyway. Um, yeah. I, I think it 
makes for an incredible allegory for like addiction or yes. perhaps maybe even more apt for Mary Shelley, like depression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's probably true too. Yeah. Um, this one, the, the book does have uh, some of the, um, the creation of the bride of, of the monster uh, subplot. Um, any thoughts on, on that? I know that that's showed up in uh, Branna's film, but not in the uh, original films too. Well, um, in some well, of the other, it's very rarely brought up in the you know original adaptations of any Frankenstein, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not the way that it's done here. I think we'll talk in a couple weeks in the future about the uh, radio play, which sort of does this. Mm. But like Frankenstein under duress by the monster, who again is a demon, right? He explicitly says okay, that. He's it's bad. his demon. Under duress is told that he will kill his family if he doesn't build the bride, right? Mm-hmm. And Victor decides, I've already made a mistake. I refuse to double down on the mistake that I've already made. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's really interesting because I think this is where we get into the crux of the demonness of of the <laughs> monster because you do have the moment where the monster tries to embrace humanity. Yeah. Uh, and is seemingly cast out. Right. The um the uh the house of the farmers with the blind old man. Yes. Yep. Yes. Which is handled differently um in most cases, right? Like the blind right. man. Um the family sees him. Oh, there's a whole subplot there that's not, nowhere else about like the impris- the political imprisonment of the Turk and oh, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, um, that was boring. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure I've even fully wrapped my mind around that one. No. Like, what's the purpose of that? Yeah, no, I was just like, okay, let's let's move forward. I, I didn't, I mean, maybe that's showing some of my ignorance, but I, I didn't, uh, I didn't understand that subplot or what it brought to the story. I think, you know, and, and I could be completely wrong because this is just in, I haven't read anything that's given me any indication of this. It's just my interpretation of what I've seen is that mm-hmm. very much that's about circumstances are bad and how you react to them and how you handle them is what matters, right? Mm, okay. So, so you know, uh, personal agency in that, right? Because mm-hmm. all of that stuff is bad things that are afflicted upon them, but they make it the best that they can, and they lift and they pull together, and friendship and family and love is what's important. And Frankenstein reacts to being cast out as the world deserves to burn because it's a miserable place, and you it makes me miserable, and therefore you will be miserable, right? Okay. Or mo- Frankenstein's monster, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, okay, so that was actually a good inclusion. I like this part now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, again, that's just how no, I'm I, interpreting it. I right? hear you, though. No, I think that's fair. I mean, the the monster just, uh, you know, I get it, dude. Rejection sucks, but um, he it's had one sense. bad day and decided to to like kill the world. And um, <laughs> he's an uh, incel online. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> black pilled incel he's like have you seen my skull shape i will never get a woman unless you make one out of a corpse that's like literally what happens right 
It, I mean, he, yeah, it is. It's. I kind of wish it wasn't. I want to say it wasn't, but that's what happened. Yes. Um. <laughs> I made the book better, and then I ruined it for you. I apologize. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. The uh, the monster. Uh. You know. I. I like. I like Karloff's monster more than the original monster. This. This. Uh. Uh. You know. Talkative. Horny guy. Um. Uh. I really love the book, but you know that that version of the monster just doesn't do as much for me as the uh the giant shape of uh. Yeah. Of Karloff and the the makeup and the the grunting and uh, and the the sadness that you get from the eyes as compared to this sort of really uh, I mean the monster here comes up with some shit to really wreck some lives and he thinks like many steps ahead. He's it's very like, smart. Yeah, no, he doesn't know. He doesn't. He, Dude learned language in like a, a couple weeks, hiding out in a barn reading the Bible or some shit. Um, Just listening to them talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then he's plotting some Hannibal Lecter moves on on Victor Frankenstein's family and shit. Uh, the monster calls him from Antarctica. I'm meeting a friend for lunch. <laughs> Like literally, that's what I mean. Like he follows him across the world. Yeah, no, he does. Yeah, it's crazy. I do. I do like the parts where, um, where uh, Victor is following the monster at the end, where the monster is like leaving him trails. Like you know, I'm here now. You you follow me here, and then it's like, okay, you're slowing down. I'm gonna let you catch up, and then it's like, uh, <laughs> I kind of like that sort of thing where it's like you know. Uh, follow me into the to, to nowhere, and that that sort of sense of going to your doom. I, I like that in the in the final pages of the book. Um, yeah, and there's a sense that like Victor has spent his whole life chasing his monster. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, his demon, right? Which I just think is is sad, but it's also very beautiful in a way, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, the whole book is sad. Um. Uh, and and they barely okay, so, pay like any like the monster like I guess dies I don't need like they, I was gonna say I was gonna ask you um I've I've taken in so much uh, Frankenstein film and literature and radio over the last month how does this one end <laughs> well Victor dies and I think that the ship captain and the shipmates finish the job for him is the idea. I okay. I I got the impression that uh, the ship, like kind of, like the the captain of the ship had his own obsession, and then he kind of like yeah. saw from Frankenstein that oh shit that was a mistake. We are doing the right thing. We are turning back and and uh, going back home. But yeah, I don't remember what happened to the monster. But I got the I don't remember what happened to well, Frankenstein it's like, either. It's almost like it doesn't matter once Victor's dead. Like it's sort of the yeah. Idea. That's fair. It, like the monster is still out there, sort of thing. Well, he like um, mourns the death of Victor, right? The monster, right, right. Yeah. So, like, whether the whether whether the monster chooses to basically commit suicide at that point, which is sort of what he says, he calls himself the fr- he'll destroy the framework, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's coming it's back. Sort to of me. irrelevant, and the book tour treats it as irrelevant because the book is about 
Victor. It's not about the right. monster. Right. And now that Victor's dead, the monster has no purpose. The monster was his purpose, uh, right. his, obsession. his obsession. Right. You know, and that's, um, I don't know, it's just, it, it's sad all around. Like, you know, the monster's awful, terrible, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But like, just... it has nothing if not hate. Like, hate is, is it's, it's obsession, I guess, is the idea, you know? Yeah, and it's like, and then it has nothing left to hate, and so nothing left to live for. Right. Yeah. We Definitely not getting that bride that he was promised. Right. <laughs> I mean, dude, just, you know, I don't know, make some try, money, you know? Go try online out. dating, you know? <laughs> Learn to talk to women or something, you know? I mean, you know, you'll be all right. You know, get, Join a that's... Discord server. I mean, yeah. come on, that's... <laughs> Listen, the monster. Fucking... <laughs> the monster. Some, you're somebody's fetish, probably. Let's be real. Oh, my God. Okay, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, to all the monsters listening to this podcast that may oh be God. having similar feelings, you're doing okay. All right? It's all right. <laughs> You'll find your bride. Um. Oh, man. Um, um yeah. okay, uh, before we, I, I feel like we're kind of, um, exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been an hour. Um, okay. Uh, this might be a question that leads nowhere, but have you read any of the other works by Stoker or Shelley? I've definitely read some short stories by Stoker, but I have absolutely no memory of them. Like, okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, and again, um, my recollection was I liked Dracula, so uh, don't count on me. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, I recall liking some of the Stoker short stories, but maybe he's better in short story form where he can't fucking go on for pages, you know? Yeah, that might be. Um, there was a biopic about Mary Shelley somewhat Gothic, recently. right? Is that or that or, one? Or was it just called Shelley? I'm oh, maybe. Right. There's uh, the um there's the film Gothic which is like the story of the creation of the book. You know, it basically tells okay. the entire story. Okay, um, well there there was a movie called uh Mary Shelley, uh with nice. with Elle Fanning as Mary Shelley. Um I remember liking it. I thought it was basic, but it was fine, you know, sort of you know, by the book's biopic. But um you know, uh, she's an interesting character uh, uh, in in her own right, and um, so I, I think that that one's, you know, going with low expectations. But it's it's mm. a fine film, uh, and it's worth if you want to know a little bit more about uh, the woman without reading the texts. Um, uh, you know, uh, it kind of has to do with some of the tragedies in her life and uh, her obsessions that, and then also the. Um, like stuff about the, the the book being published, you know, with no author name, or then with the mm. uh, with with uh, Percy's name, and yeah. Uh, yeah, which I always still thought was strange. With uh, by the time that the Boris Karloff film came out, that it was showed the book as based uh, showed the film as based on the novel by the wife of Percy Shelley. Isn't oh, that how God, it was credited? Yes. By that point, hadn't her name already been out there? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of so that yeah. That was odd to me. But, that um, is really odd. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that when we, in the future, talk about those. <laughs> um, Gothic, yeah. by the way, is a Ken Russell film. So that 
gives you an idea of what that film might be like (laughs) 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 and it has it has a great cast um it has Gabriel Byrne as Byron it has Julian Sands as uh Percy Um, okay yeah I've not seen that one Natasha Richardson as Mary Shelley so all right um, I've right. seen it, but years ago. Um, and I, I remember it being, as you might imagine, a pretty horny film. It's a Ken Russell film. So, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it might be worth checking out. Um, and I think the idea of that film, if I recall correctly, is that like, it's a Ken Russell film. Reality and imagination <laughs> like intertwine, right? Okay, like so... over the time when they're in this like dark castle telling these stories or dark, you know. So, so if you if you want to watch a film about Mary Shelley, um, if you're watching with family, watch Mary Shelley. If you're watching by yourself, watch Gothic. I don't know. I haven't seen Mary Shelley. It's probably a, maybe it's a better film. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends, I guess, what kind of family. <laughs> oh God. Um, <sighs> you know, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, what what are your like? Any other thoughts about? Either My Frankenstein family? or Dracula. I think we should. Oh. Yeah. Maybe rightfully we are comparing the two novels, but like that's kind of the nature of the of this podcast. Right. Um, yeah. Do you have I mean, any like further comparisons or thoughts about the two of them together? Um. One of them I enjoyed, and the other one I did not. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think. Th- okay. Okay. Here. I think that uh, Bram Stoker's novel is more traditionally scare. I, I think it's more of a, it has more scares than Shelley's book does. Um, I think that there's more unsettling about uh, Stoker's novel here and there. There's it's not a good book, but there's here and there there's parts where it's like right. that's unsettling. He, he throws the, a baby in a bag to some vampires. You know, he, uh, all these other. Uh, dark deaths and the um the slow change of uh our loved ones into monsters after they've been bitten um slow being the operative word fuck um but yeah whereas the the shelly book i i just took away the the profound sadness of the book yes it uses horror to tell a dramatic story but i don't necessarily think it's disturbing or frightening horror it's it's um it's a drama in the horror universe. Um, and and that's fine. That's cool. But that if we're comparing the two, the Shelley book is so much better than the Stoker book. But the Stoker book um, comes from uh, more mysterious, dark places, whereas yeah. compared to the whereas the Shelley book comes from more uh, familiar. We've all had these sort of dark moments in our lives, or well, hopefully not all of us, but you know, uh, a lot of us can empathize with the the mourning process. Yeah, and um, because interestingly, like I think, <laughs> um, both Frankenstein and Dracula, like the quote unquote villains, are not in the book that much. Yeah, um, the 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 monster is in the book more than Dracula is. Dracula is like often spoken of, rarely seen. Um, whereas, uh, whereas the monster, Frankenstein's monster, you know, um, at least he, at least he's always like uh, leaving clues for <laughs> Frankenstein. He's, he's always fucking with his life, Such you know. A petty little bitch. 
<laughs> you know, Dracula sometimes is uh, just out there, and that's creepy in its own right. But it, it's he's like this force of nature sort of thing, where it's like the the, the 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 you mentioned a storm or whatever. It is sort of like the storm outside, you know, where it's 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 not personal. There's there's not the scenes that like in so many of the adaptations where Dracula's in the room taunting them before they they know who he is uh like at their own mansion and stuff you know yeah. that, that sort of stuff is very very limited in the in the book as he's just sort of here and there and also like there's the personal connection um with like mina being his destined love right none of that is in the book at all no no you know, none of that dracula does not give a fuck about mina really other than here's somebody that I can use through Renfield to inflict pain on people who are hunting me, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's basically... Uh, there's there's no real connection that he has to anyone in in the book other than just these are people that got wrapped up in my life, my, my life and uh, and I'm trying to survive and I'll, and I'll use them to do it. And then they start hunting him. It's, it's this weird... Actually, the book kind of has this weird sort of uh, Scooby Gang sort of aspect to, uh, to the end of it, as you know, all these weirdos who've all been sharing, uh, you know, these pen pals, as the book almost kind of presents it, uh, you know, kind of getting together to go hunt a vampire, and um, you know, they don't get the authorities involved. They don't do any of that sort of stuff. They're they're a bunch of um, People that just following the craziest Danish guy they could find in the battle. Whatever they call him, I don't know what that. Whatever he was. (laughs) (laughs) My dear friend Kelly. That's like that's how you, my friend. Yes, yes. Oh my god! And also, so many of the parts where Van Helsing is um, sitting down to talk about. talk about mina and you're so smart you're so brave you have a man's brain oh um, god oh, oh my god you are a woman man's among women brain. and you are so wise and it's like fuck you old man <laughs> oh my god i couldn't stand he, him there's it's not he also does this thing where he calls man brain versus child brain yes that yes. goes on and on, and he's talking about uh, it's really kind of gross. Where he's like, the, the difference, the difference between us is we have man brain, and Dracula has child brain, and child brain is like that of all criminals because child brain is selfish and only thinks of self, and all yeah, criminals is, are born as with child brain. It's like what this the is really fuck. That's I mean, those listening to us might think we're exaggerating. That's really pretty much exactly right off the page <laughs> it really is yeah i, I it do is. have a tendency for hyperbole that is not it no no that is it is a pretty gross sequence i mean he says some pretty i mean okay van helsing is sexist ableist um how many other things he's just probably racist oh i mean of course i mean who in I mean, probably who of, in the book isn't yeah it's <laughs> yeah, true but, yeah, there's a lot of uh use of uh a slur against romani people again and again yes uh, yes in this, in, and granted i don't want to be like okay obviously we're looking at this through um a current sensibility right fair um and i don't think that that outright makes this book bad but it it, you know it is shockingly bad 
Yeah, I mean, Still. no, I hear you. You you kind of gotta uh, accept that some things were products of their time. Uh, at some point, sure. you gotta ex- accept that. Uh, you know, many King Kong adaptations problematic as fuck. Yeah. Um, but but there's still something to enjoy about uh, a lot of the other stuff in those uh, films. Right. Um, in this book, though, what there's nothing to enjoy about the Van Helsing character. This guy is just insufferable. I mean, that's not. It's not because he's sexist and ableist and Don't racist, and he is those things. But in addition to that, he's just so fucking annoying. <laughs> Oh God! I, we could talk about how annoying Van Helsing is for another hour. I think, like, I really we could get so I'll get the much book out and I'll find stuff. This character, I should have just uh, highlighted all of Van Helsing chapters. We should use our man brains instead of our child <laughs> brains to move forward. Uh... <laughs> Mina, so she has woman's heart and man's brain. That's a quote. I'm pretty sure that's a fucking it quote is. from the book. I hate it. <laughs> It's one of the worst quotes. That should be on Bram Stoker's fucking, fucking tombstone. tombstone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a man's brain and a woman's heart. Oh fuck him! Fuck <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I started this not liking uh, Van Helsing. I don't like Bram Stoker anymore either. Fine. Yeah, I sort of don't like Bram Stoker either. You know, I mean, yeah. Thank him for his contribution to the horror community, which we are both part of, and um, yeah, it's everlasting, sure. right? But yeah, fuck like, him as a person. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, Stoker, Lovecraft. Yeah, thank you. Fuck off. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll take it from here. Yes, yes, yeah. H.P. Lovecraft, which I'm sure we'll inevitably cover for something um, on, on this podcast, and I'm sure we'll have further conversations about that. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you and your cat. All right. Um, <laughs> you. <laughs> Um, I, I can't get into that conversation right now, but no, um, it's no, more than no, just his no. cat. All right. I don't want to hear any more about like how it's overblown. It's not. All right. But we're going to move around, move away from that. But yeah, I, I think it's, it, we do have to talk about, and we did, um, how the politics of Dracula are really bad in regards to that. Oh yeah, they are. I mean, <laughs> the book has a lot of politics. None of them good. Yeah. I it's mean, very religious, too. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. Um, which, you know, whatever. I'm not going to hold that against it. A lot of text is. But um, it's it's very judgy, though. It's very. Uh, right. And every every uh, hero character is so fucking pure. And that's, and that's all they talk about. Yeah. No. They're annoying in their own way. You know, because they're just, you know. Mina is the the purest woman in the world, you know, smartest too because she has man brain, <laughs> and and everyone else though is just like, uh, pure as snow. Uh, just you know, Harker had some bad stuff because he got stuck with Dracula for too long, and you know, that's too bad. But the other people are like, <sighs> I'm yeah, sorry, Harker's Jason. I just got guy. Stuff like to I think Harker's about. okay, right? Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's fine. He, that's right. <laughs> Correct. He can't. He can't handle spicy chicken, but he's fine. <laughs> you know, you, you're right though. Like, I was wondering. Um, 
about whether like in in like I don't know maybe like two thirds in this book I started to wonder and I had to think about something because it fucking prevented me from having to read anymore at the <clears> time and then my brain needed a rest from fucking reading the awful words that were on the page I wondered like because Mina becomes like this character that transcribes everything mm. and because so much of the book is dedicated to essing her D right I was like is Mina Bram Stoker Mm. I, I don't know if is I want to touch that man brain <laughs> and woman heart you know Oh God. and that's why I like included that stuff about like the potential of like the manliness thing and homosexuality because I was like wow I, I don't know I don't know and I, it's yeah. a mystery to me you know whether yeah, this I, book contains I that go ahead I don't know if I want to out Bram Stoker I don't want him on the team either <laughs> 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 so we'll leave it at that you're off the yeah, we'll team leave it at that. Yeah, you're, you're off, off the team. team you're not chosen no. in, in this dodgeball game you know what i mean no no you're no. sitting on the bench and you can use your fucking man brain to um, <laughs> um write about something you know you know um uh of the movies uh of dracula the one that comes closest i think to the 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 book's uh kind of flow and overall overarching story uh, is the Coppola film, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, but even that one, you know, it kind of, it takes all the characters and it, okay, Harker, nice guy. He's nice. He's Keanu Reeves. You can't make him not nice. Um, but all the other characters though, Coppola finds ways to kind of taint them some. You got Seward shooting up at one point. Yeah. You know, you got um, Quincy, just being ignorant American. Uh, Van Helsing, they toned Van Helsing down, but he still comes across like a coke addict. They to, horny him up. To though, the film's benefit. Too. They like... Like, that's um, an... Am- reading this book, the Hopkins performance is fucking incredible because he takes the worst character in history and makes him compelling. Yeah, yeah, yes. Agreed, agreed. But also, Mina. Um, you know, in the book, she's a saint, and the Coppola film, she uh, is what her whole thing in the whole movie is about uh, sexual repression, and yes. uh, and she's the embodiment of that, and uh, how Dracula kind of lets her let loose. But um, you know, there's none of that in the book. The book mm. is the book is stale. Um, yep. it's just yeah, it's stale. just stale. Um, I totally agree, and I'm I'm sure. In the future, we'll talk about Coppola, the the uh, Francis Ford Coppola film. Um, the you're totally right. Like, of almost all the characters, they're better in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, more flawed, except for Dracula, who is humanized. Yeah, actually, in that film, that makes it more interesting and compelling, right? Like, I think the love story is the biggest change in that film. And um, having read the book is a great change, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you get right down to it, almost every adaptation of Dracula humanizes him to an extent. You, may, you got the Gary Oldman one, which is, uh, you know, he's he's a lover through the ages sort of thing. You got Bela Lugosi, who's this debonair Hungarian. Um, you got Frank Langella, who the guy is, he's sexy Dracula, you right. know? Uh, and, and on and on. Christopher you know, Lee, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, they're all 
much more humanized versions of of Dracula than what we got in the book. I mean, like you know the the uh, the Coppola film you know starts of course with Dracula being this hideous old man, but eventually you know he, he looks all right by the end. But um, the Dracula of the book is this hairy dude that with sharp teeth and bad eyesight or whatever and um he's he's got the yeah he's disgusting he's like this you you look at him and you know he's a monster and uh i think that's interesting how the the films that came after it you know really tried to depict him as something more human something that could fit into uh uh, amongst our our society and uh prey Mm -hmm. upon it as compared to having to hide in the shadows yeah i think that's really well put i agree well thank you (laughs) what um any final thoughts on this or anything else you want to talk about dracula or frankenstein um i want to read more shelley books and i want to read no more stoker for the rest of my life (laughs) no love for the man brain um (laughs) as is correct i uh, i totally agree you know, uh, Frankenstein's superior book, Dracula, don't bother reading it. Unless it's just out of curiosity, but I don't, don't expect a great book, right? I'm glad I revisited it for that sake, because I think I would go through the rest of my life saying that, um, you know, Dracula is a phenomenal book, which in its own way it is, but not in terms of its writing. Yeah. Um... And I probably will read Frankenstein again. You yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I I I happily read Frankenstein. That was a good book. And I mean, I uh with the Dracula book, I had to split my time between reading it and um listening to an audiobook and I swear the audiobook narrator was bored. I split my time between reading it and punching myself in the face and I read <laughs> the punching myself in the face part way more. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're really kind to the classics on this podcast. <laughs> Listen, we're giving it to you straight on <laughs> this podcast, okay? We're not going to sugarcoat, right? Agreed? I mean, yeah, I mean kind of straight. I mean... You know. <laughs> oh, God. As straight as Bram Stoker. <laughs> Himself. Um, yeah. Um, I, again... Read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, please. Please do it. Yeah, absolutely. You'll and, not um, regret it. Um, and uh, for Dracula, watch the movies. You know, there's a lot to choose from. Uh, you won't mi- be missing anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us on this trip through uh, literary history. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will continue Next week. I'm... Next week, we're talking about more Dracula and Frankenstein. Yes. That's that much is true. That is true. We'll be talking about that for some weeks to come, Dracula and Frankenstein, you know? Yeah. And um, thanks for listening. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>